Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. You know, I, I usually don't, I th- in fact, I think I never have, um, like, called anybody out as I have preached. Um, and when I, when I prepare to preach, uh, I'm, thinking, um, I'm thinking first of the Word, thinking of God's Word, like, what, God, what are you saying? What is it that you have said, and what is it that you would like to say? And then I'm thinking, secondly, of you. I'm thinking, okay, God, like, what is it that you have said to us, and what is it that you would like to say to us? And oftentimes, you know, your faces go scrolling uh, through my mind as I'm preparing to preach. And uh, Dean, I was thinking about you a lot this week, and your family, about God's unconditional love, how we worship one who is a good, good father. That we worship a God who has said to us before we lifted a finger to accomplish anything, we worship a God who said, nice work. Not because we've done good work, but because the living God looks at us and we are his handiwork. And it's like God is saying to himself, Nice work. I've done good work. Look at how amazing you are. I created you. Nice work, self. Imagining God. Well, God has said that. And we'll hear more of that uh, in in the sermon this morning. So I've been thinking about all of you this week. And I've been thinking about what it is that God might want to say to us this morning. I was thinking about many of you who are parents, and uh, so I'd like for you to recall, for those of you who are parents, and when your child was born, I want you to remember the time you first saw your newborn baby. It was magical, wasn't it? Then... Not long afterwards, when your newborn baby was able to open his or her eyes and, and uh, I don't know how long this takes, but maybe begin to focus on you. And you got to look into those eyes. Do you remember the love that you experienced for your child? It was this inexplicably strong love, Right? Your son, your daughter, has literally done nothing yet. (laughs) Helpless. And yet your love for your child is just overwhelming, right? It's so strong. Where does that come from? Where does that love come from? What has your child done that has led you to be so enamored with him, so enamored, enamored with her? With that in mind, friends, listen uh, listen to God's word. It's going to be on the screen. 
This is from Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 13. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. For those of you who are parents, I'm guessing that you can relate. Some translations um, use the word beloved. You are my son, the beloved. The beloved one. In Mark chapter 1, we hear the Father tell Jesus who Jesus is. Jesus, you are the one whom I love. The Father loves the Son, not because of what Jesus has accomplished. This is at the very beginning. Jesus' public ministry has not begun yet. But rather, the Father loves Jesus because of who the Father is. It just flows out of his heart. It flows out of who he is. Maybe in a similar way that the love you had for your child did not, it was not a result of what your child has done, but just flowed out of you. I mean, think about this. At this point, Jesus, he hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't cast out any demons. He hasn't confronted the hypocrisy of the religious elites. He's nothing. Like Maybe you could say he was praying in his father's house. There's an episode where we see that when he was a young boy. But in Mark's gospel so far, nothing. But the father loves him because the father is a good, good father who loves his dearly beloved son. It just flows out of who he is. And isn't this what's going on for you who are parents? I'm going to turn uh, back to the very beginning of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses for you. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and, and 31. God is creating the universe. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Uh, They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And down in verse 31, then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening and morning came, marking the sixth day. He saw everything that he had created, and the last thing that he had created was humankind. He, it was like he stood back, and he looked at his handiwork, and he said, wow, nice work, self. This is very good. You are very good. It all is very good. You You are very good. Do you believe that? The Lord declared our value on the very first day. 
the very first day of our existence, just like on the very first day of your son's or your daughter's existence, for those of you who are parents, you were like, wow, she's magnificent. Hey, he's amazing. And I love him so much. We're very good from the beginning because we're created in God's image. If you were to read all of Genesis chapter 1, you would see over and over again that we're told uh, that we were created in the image of God, in the image of God, in the image of God. We have what scholars call uh, the imago Dei. That just means the image of God and, and everything sounds better in Latin, right? So let's call it the imago Dei. We're created with the imago Dei, the image of God. We have God's likeness like woven into our DNA. Which, by the way, is why we have this incredible capacity to passionately love these children unconditionally. Not based on what they have done or not done. It just flows out of us. That's because God created us in his image. And here in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, where God declares the inherent value and goodness of you and me, of human beings... I mean, what have we accomplished at that point? Before you've done a single thing, God is pleased with you because you're his handiwork. And you know what? Also, after you've done some things and screwed a few things up, God is still pleased with you because you are still God's handiwork. He is still looking at you and thinking to himself, wow, you are very good. Let's talk a minute about one gentleman who was created good and then started to do a bunch of things, and a bunch of those things were not good at all. King David. King David had this profound sense of his belovedness, even in the wake of the things that he screwed up, which were many and profound. Listen to what King David wrote in Psalm 139. This is what he writes. He says, O Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even from far away. You see, uh, when, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. In other words, there are no secrets about David's life. Nothing that he has done or failed to do is hidden from God. In fact, all of the rotten things that David has done throughout the course of his life, God knows about these things. And David knows that God knows. That's important. And David goes on in verse 13, Psalm 139. He says, You, O Lord, made all of the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. For making me so wonderfully. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. David. The man who was guilty of murder. The man who was guilty of adultery. The man who was guilty of turning his back on God. David could say. Oh Lord I thank you because I am wonderfully made marvelous is your workmanship. He had this deep sense that at a very basic level, at a foundational level, he was good. And that nothing he did or did not do could change that. 
Let me use the language of engineers and mathematicians just for a second. Uh, many of you know my background is in engineering, and so let me just geek out for a little bit, all right? So here we go. Um, here's what's going on in Psalm 139, in David's life, in Genesis 1, in Mark chapter 1. And that is this. There is not a linear relationship between your accomplishments and your goodness. Okay, so this is a graph that shows a linear relationship the way that sometimes we believe. Okay, so what's on the screen in front of you is a lie. This is not true. This is often what we believe. We believe that the more we accomplish or the more we have or the more beautiful we are, whatever it is, fill in the blank, uh, the farther you go to the right, right, then the more good we are. Our value goes up. That there's this kind of linear relationship. If you accomplish more, you're more valuable. If you are a better person, God loves you more. And this is not true. So what is true? This is a better reflection of reality. Here's a graph that just simply shows, like, our value is super high. I probably should have put it at the very top of the chart, right? Our value is super high because God created us good and valuable. And our value doesn't change based on our accomplishments or what we have or what we do or what we look like. Our value is not embedded or related to our accomplishments. This is the reality that Jesus lived in. This is the reality that the scriptures talk to us about. Now, I think the question remains, well, if we are fundamentally good, like foundationally good, then why does everybody, including me, harbor thoughts that are not good, say things that are not good, and do stuff that is not good? What is the problem? Well, as you know awfully well, we're broken. In fact, all of creation is broken. I'm broken. Things are not the way that they ought to be. Something has gone wrong, and Scripture calls this the fall. The fall is the result of our sin, our turning our backs on God. He created us good, He created us valuable, and for some crazy reason, that wasn't good enough. And so we turned our backs on God and thought we could find a better way on our own. And we can't, and we haven't. It doesn't work. In fact, I think an expression of our sin, an expression of our brokenness is our desire to want to try to define our value based on our accomplishments. You know, if I just do a little bit more, then God will love me more and I'll be a more valuable person. If I can somehow get the opinions of others to to be elevated, you know, if I can impress you a little bit, then you'll think more highly of me and then my value will go up. I will feel good about myself. Or if I can, whatever, fill in the blank, if I can uh, have more money, if I can feel more secure, if I can drive a better car, whatever it is, this is all because of the fall. This is an expression of our sin. We think that we need to accomplish something in order for God to love us. Speaking of cars, so Krista and I had been um, out of Orange County for a number of weeks And uh, we got back uh, over the course of our sabbatical. Uh, We got back, we're in town, and um, uh, we both uh, swim at the Y in Newport Mesa. 
And so I was swimming at the Y in Newport Mesa, and I came out to the parking lot, and, and I saw my car here in the middle, my Subaru. And if you can't tell there, uh, my Subaru is parked between two Porsches. <clears throat> and, and I began to feel lame. I felt embarrassed about my old Subaru because it wasn't as nice or new or fancy or fast as these Porsches next to my Subaru. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, actually, I have no interest in, in a Porsche or owning a Porsche. It's not about that. But in that moment, it was like, oh, this, this is real, you guys. This is a strong pull. Like, look at these nice cars. Am I just... You know, what's wrong with me? Am I not good enough? Am I, you know, does God not love me as much? Um, maybe, maybe there's something wrong with me. And what was going on in my heart was I was correlating the blue book value of my 1999 Subaru with my value as a person. I was relating those two things. And that's a problem because those two things are not related. They actually have nothing to do with one another. What I drive has nothing to do with who I am. I'm a child of God. And God's wonderful, marvelous love for me is not related to what I drive. As my friend Jim Murphy would say, I am God's favorite. And so are you. And that is always true. You know, we live in a kind of throwaway culture. We can have a tendency to throw things away when they break or when they, um, when they begin to wear out, and then we, uh, we just throw them away, and then we just buy a new one. And there's this thing called planned obsolescence. Maybe you have heard of that. Planned obsolescence is when manufacturers make stuff cheaply or make stuff in a way where it can't really be repaired. And the whole plan, the whole idea is that that thing will soon be obsolete and you should just discard it and then get a new one, replace it. I think a number of years ago, Apple got busted for this, right? When, uh, when my phone and a whole bunch of other phones started slowing down when they got updated to the next OS. And uh, if this happened to you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And the whole thing was, it was, it was a way to encourage me to ditch my phone, even though there was nothing wrong with it. Get rid of your phone and get a new and better one because your phone is slow now. That's called planned obsolescence. If it's broken, if it's showing signs of wear, or in the case of my phone, if it's just slowing down, toss it and replace it. And I wonder, I wonder if this is what drives in us a little bit a sense of fear. Because do we wonder well, if I begin to show signs of brokenness, if I begin to show signs of wear and tear, if I begin to slow down, will I be discarded? Will I be tossed out and replaced with something newer and better and faster? It's the culture we live in. And I wonder if our throwaway culture sort of cultivates this this drive in us, this deep need in us that we have to try to prove ourselves. I'm valuable enough. I'm smart enough. I'm pretty enough. I'm young enough. I'm whatever enough in order to be kept around. I have these um, mountain hardware pants that are kind of like hiking pants. 
and uh, I've had them forever, like, uh, like 15 years or maybe even 20 years, and they're kind of like my Subaru. They just won't break. They, um, uh, they just keep on going, and uh, in fact, they're so old that they were, um, they were like pretty baggy because that was cool 15 or 20 years ago, and, um, and I'm like, these, I have these great pants, but they were just like really baggy. I mean, it looked like, uh, well, so I brought them to the good people over at Royale Cleaners on Hamilton, and, and I had them uh, hem them in, and so now they're like, they're like skinny pants, so they're, now they're a little cooler, right? And, um, and they're amazing. And then recently, um, uh, one of the seams started to come undone, and, uh, but the rest of the pants are fine. It's just the stitches are coming undone um, in a place where uh, you shouldn't wear pants when stitches come undone there. And so I'm just having them re-sewn because they're perfectly good pants. But this isn't really about my Martin, Mountain Hardware pants. This isn't really about my Subaru. This isn't about planned obsolescence. This is actually about how you and I experience life with Jesus. The problem that we experience is a lot more insidious, a lot more significant than than my iPhone that was slowing down or a vehicle that isn't as nice as it once was or, or a pair of mountain hardware pants that need a little bit of repair. Fixing what is broken in us takes a lot more than a new operating system It takes a lot more than um, the great seamstresses over Royal Cleaner. It takes a lot more than whatever whatever it would take to upgrade my vehicle. We're broken because of our sin, right? Sin that is like deeply embedded into the very fabric of our being. Sin affects everything about us. There's no part of our life that is unaffected by this problem, this brokenness, this sin. In fact, it's such that no amount of detergent can clean the stain of sin off, right? No amount of scrubbing, no no effort on by ourselves will get rid of this problem that we have, this stain of sin. But the cool thing is that God has no interest in planned obsolescence. God does not, he did not create that culture. He's not into that. He doesn't like that. It's not him. The Lord does not participate in a throwaway culture. He does not throw away stuff that he has created. And so what does the Lord do? Well, the Lord sends his son, Jesus, to come and not just repair a broken seam, but to redeem us, to rescue us, to make us new, to give us new life. It's so much better than what the good folks at Royal Cleaners can do. And why would the Lord send his beloved son to rescue us and to redeem us? Why would he do that? Well, because he loves us so much. Because you're so valuable to him. He created you. Remember in the very beginning, he knit you together in your mother's womb. In all the intricate and secret parts of you and all that makes you, you. He made you, you. And he loves you. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because it just flows out of his heart. And so when he could see that we had a problem, a big problem, a sin problem, he sent what was most valuable to him, his only beloved son, to come and to rescue us, to redeem us, to restore us. You know, the Lord doesn't make junk. Do you believe that? What would your day tomorrow look like? How would your day tomorrow feel differently if you really walked in that reality, 
The Lord does not make junk. Everything he makes is wonderful. You are wonderfully made. Marvelously glorious. And yes, there's something wrong. But thanks be to God, he sent his son to restore us, to redeem us, to make things right again. And that's how we get in. That's how we get in on the redeeming and restoring work of Jesus Christ. We say yes to him. Right? We receive the life of Jesus the Son in us. The new life that Jesus offers us is a redeemed life, a life that is being restored. And so our invitation this morning for every single one of us is will we receive for the first time or for the nth time, for the hundredth time, will we receive again the life of Jesus the Son in us? And will you receive the unconditional love of God the Father for you? Will you walk in that reality that God the Father loves you unconditionally, not because of whatever you do or do not do? Will you believe that? Will you live in that reality? Will you hear God say again and again, you are very good because you are mine. You are very good because you are my marvelous workmanship created in my image. Let me close by pointing out what happened to Jesus right after he heard the Father's voice, right? He hears the Father say to him, you are good. You, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Right after the Father says this to Jesus, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. In fact, some of your translations say that Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness. And some of your translations even use stronger language like the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus encountered hunger, loneliness, a lack of shelter, and most significantly, the temptations of the evil one. Why would the Holy Spirit do that to Jesus? Why would the Holy Spirit drive Jesus compel Jesus into the wilderness? Well, I think the answer is that the wilderness is the place where Jesus is prepared. The wilderness is the place where the Holy Spirit prepares Jesus for what lies ahead. The wilderness is not an unfortunate mistake that Jesus should have avoided. The wilderness here is the place where God forms shapes, builds faith. This is where Jesus was prepared for his mission to come and redeem and restore you and me. What about your wilderness? What does your wilderness look like? What has it looked like in the past? Maybe you're living in a sense of spiritual wilderness right now. Maybe you're experiencing some of the things that Jesus did, like loneliness. Or maybe you feel a sense of like wandering or lostness. Maybe you feel uh, particularly um, 
like the arrows of the evil one are being aimed and shot at you. you you're in a, in a place where it just feels so tempting. Well, I want to invite you this morning to be curious in the wilderness, to be curious about how the Holy Spirit is forming your character, shaping your faith, and maybe even preparing you for what lies ahead. I'm not sure that all wilderness experiences are experiences that the Holy Spirit has compelled you into. Sometimes we just end up in the wilderness and it's just really difficult. Sometimes, sometimes we ourselves are responsible for getting ourselves into the wilderness and it's really difficult. But I invite you to be curious. Holy Spirit, like, are you shaping me in this valley? How is it that you're forming my faith? What do, you, what do you want for me in this wilderness experience that I'm having? Friends, from the very beginning, the Lord has said to us, you're very good because I made you and you're mine. And yes, we are deeply broken. There is something wrong and it's called sin, and it affects everything. And this is why you and I need to receive the life of Jesus the Son in us. This is why you and I need to regularly receive the unconditional love of God the Father for us. And this is why, especially in difficult seasons, why you and I need to ask the Holy Spirit that question. Holy Spirit, what, what do you have for me here? How are you shaping me? How is it that you're preparing me in this difficult season for what lies ahead? You're good. Because God loves you. Let's pray. Gracious and living God, thank you that you have declared us good, that you have told us who we are. We are your beloved daughters and sons. Thank you for this reminder from Genesis 1 that you, when you looked at your creation, uh, the pinnacle of which, which was humanity, when you looked at your creation, you said, ah, oh, mm, it's very good. And we are sorry, God, for the ways in which we have turned our backs on you, just like Adam and Eve in the very beginning. We, we thought we could find a better way. But thank you, Jesus, that you never stop pursuing us, even though we often turn our backs on you, even though we look to other things for our value. Thank you that you pursue us and remind us over and over again, you are my beloved. I want you. I want a relationship with you. So Jesus, fill us again with your life. Father, help us to really believe you when you tell us that you love us. And Holy Spirit, help us to be open to the ways in which you're shaping us, particularly in the difficult seasons of life. For we pray this in the noble name of Jesus the one who loves us so well. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpc.com.